Welcome to Cold Water Podcast. I'm Nicola Halton. We all know the importance of getting out there and doing a great work for Jesus. In this podcast, we will learn more about the people who are involved in changing lives for good, for God. I would like to welcome Stephen Jenkins to the Cold Water Podcast. Hello, Stephen. Hello, thanks for having me. That's okay. Um, I just want to ask, how did you get to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Right, well, it's a, a long time ago, uh, a journey of faith. Uh, it's quite a long journey. I wasn't brought up in a, a typically Christian home, which surprises a few people. Uh, my parents were good, moral, moral people. Um, but I wouldn't say it was a, a traditionally you know, Christian upbringing. Uh, but my first uh, experience of God, um, not that I can remember much about it, was when I was about two months short of my second birthday, uh, Christmas time, uh, 1969. I, I was born um, with a, a very rare bone complaint. Um, my, my bones were all very brittle. Right. The soft spot on my head um, had not healed, and uh, I, my parents were told I would never walk, right. and I had to be carried everywhere. And I understand that they had to get rid of most of the furniture in the home because I couldn't run the risk of uh, banging my head and doing serious brain damage. So this was the state that I was in, and Boxing Day, uh, 1969, I was taken to the home of a, a Christian lady, Pentecostal Christian lady uh, who has been a great friend of the family for, for many years now. And um, when I was there that evening with, with, my, with my family, there were some young men there who were getting ready to go out onto the mission field. And they saw the state that I was in. And uh, very simply that evening, they, they laid hands upon me and said, well, let, let's pray for Stephen. Let's Let's pray that God will do something. And they prayed for me that uh, that evening. And I, I'm led to believe that the ne- very next day I started to take my first steps. Wow. And I knew an instantaneous healing, wow. which certainly got the attention of my family and got uh, my attention because really from that moment, I was a- aware of a supreme being. I was aware that there was someone out there. And it led really to a, a, a long search for for God. I didn't know the terminology. Uh, as I said, I, I didn't go to church. Um, I didn't know the terminology, but I knew that there was something more. I went through school, and um, I remember at secondary school being very interested one day when given a Gideon's Bible in assembly. Yeah. And uh, we were all given a New Testament, and... Uh, uh, I don't know what the other kids did with theirs, but I, I, I remember taking taking it home. It was a good news version. Mm-hmm. And sort of the age of 13, 14, I guess, actually reading the Bible yeah. um, for myself and underlining even, and underlining certain passages that, that Jesus, uh, Jesus made. And um, I, I really was searching for God. My, my sister then started to attend church and she was taken to church 
um, by this lady in whose home I received my, my healing. So she was taken to an Assemblies of God church um, and really started to enjoy it. And um, I was approaching, I guess, the age of 16. I probably had just turned 16. And um, my sister invited me to uh, a meeting, a church service. Um, wasn't in a church, but it was uh, in a football stadium right. in Bristol, where I'm from, yeah. uh, the Ashton Gate Bristol City Ground, because uh, that week a man called Billy Graham, right. uh, an evangelist from the United States, was uh, conducting some meetings. And uh, I decided to go out of curiosity. Uh, I was a big football fan, so going to a football stadium uh, was a bit of an attraction as well. So I went with her uh, on the uh, opening afternoon on the Saturday. This was now in 1984, what became known as Mission England. And Billy Graham traveled um, the the length and breadth of the United Kingdom for Mm -hmm. several months and I went that afternoon and was was completely blown away. 20,000 people were there um, in this football stadium, and I was attracted by the singing. I was attracted by the, the testimony that was given, um, and really by the people I went along with. I was very attracted by, uh, by their lifestyle. And then when this man uh, stood up on a platform, I could see him in the distance, um, in the middle of this uh, football pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Graham, he preached, I guess, for about 20, 25 minutes. Um, but it was as though he was speaking just to me. Yeah. And uh, I responded that afternoon. Didn't understand everything. I still don't understand everything. Um, but I responded and said, I, God, you are the one I've been looking for. Uh, can you do something with me? Mm-hmm. I was about to leave school and uh, had no job prospects. Uh, I didn't do well at school. I didn't particularly like school. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I said, God, if you're there, do something with me and take my life and uh, and you know, make it glorifying to you. Um, and I went along to every meeting, actually, um, not just the first meeting. I went along to every meeting. I was completely blown away. I felt I wanted to respond every time the appeal was given. And I just knew this is what I was was looking for. Uh, And that then set me on a a sort of a long uh, journey. That was, you know, 37 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, joined a church, the Assemblies of God Church. And uh, I guess never really looked back. Felt a strong call to the ministry. Uh, had gone gone on from there, really. Um, mm. You know, the joy is that my parents found Christ in latter years, and um, other cousins have come to Christ. So it, it's a bit of a God breaking into the whole family, really, which was a, a wonderful, a wonderful thing. So that was how I found the Lord yeah. uh, many years ago. Yes, oh, that that's a lovely testimony. It's it's a, it's amazing, and <clears throat> just. Yeah, the, the the toddler just transforming into a, a, a you know yeah. you're you're a lecturer and you you're a yeah. pastor and you you've done all these all these wonderful things. So 
God has really, really used you and is still using you now, Stephen. So mm -hmm. a really beautiful testimony. You've written a book called Tongues of Men and Angels. Would you like yep. to tell us a bit about that book? Yes, of course. Um, as you said, I, I, I've been a lecturer. I, I went on and really the, the rest of the story is that I failed all my exams at school. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> And had no purpose, and and God found me a job, and I um, uh, went then to university, studied business, and felt a very strong call to ministry. Went through Bible college, went on and did a master's degree, and went on and did a doctorate. So uh, yes. Yes. God gave me a real desire to study. Yes, um, I found a subject I was really interested in, I suppose. Oh, um, and I, you know, I was a lecturer uh, on the, the faculty of Mattersea Hall. Bible College for 18 years altogether um, and uh, had the chance to teach some wonderful subjects. And um, after being at Mattersea, I went on to become a missions director for a wonderful charity called One by One. Yeah. And uh, now I'm, I'm mainly itinerant, writing and traveling and some missions work and that sort of thing. And I, I guess really over the last 10 years, uh, I've had in my mind um, about about five books that I've, I've sort of been sort of swirling around in my mind, and I, I wanted the chance just to write them, but never really had the chance. I was busy with other things, and yeah. during lockdown uh, that affected all of us, I had this wonderful opportunity to actually put uh, put pen to paper mm -hmm. and and write, and over the course of uh, about 14 months, I guess, uh, I had the opportunity of writing five books. Yeah. And they just flowed, really. Mm -hmm. um, and the first book I, I did write was, um, as you mentioned, a book, a little book um, called of Tongues, Tongues of Men and Angels, available on Amazon. They're actually all on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And this was um, born out of a, a curiosity I had with uh, the gift of speaking in tongues, really from my early days of being in a Pentecostal church and hearing uh, utterances in tongues and being fascinated uh, by, by these utterances and um, the interpretations given, uh, and then being baptized in the Spirit a little while later as a teenager, uh, speaking in tongues myself, and then uh, becoming a Pentecostal pastor and encouraging it in churches, mm -hmm. and then um, having the opportunity to study and uh, really study the subject at master's level. Yeah. I did a dissertation on speaking in tongues. Right. Uh, I've really been fascinated with it and various aspects. And so I, I wrote uh, this book um, uh, just over a year ago now, hopefully a very easy to read book. It um, but it, but it, it tackles certain areas such as how should tongues be used in the life of the believer privately, yeah. Uh, how should tongues be used publicly in church? Um, are they uh, real earthly languages mm -hmm. that have the potential to be understood, or are they uh, heavenly languages? Or uh, you know, quite what what are they? Yeah. Um, uh, that sort of thing. Um, is it the evidence that someone has been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Um, so I, I looked at various aspects of that, and it, 
I understand it's a book that could be read in, a, in an hour and a half. Someone timed it and they said, I read this in an hour and a half. Um, so it, it's hopefully that easy to read, but it's designed in such a way as to sort of really be studied as scriptures to look up. And at the end, there's some um, frequently asked questions as well about this whole area of uh, speaking in tongues, which I, you know, I personally believe is often misunderstood mm-hmm. uh, and misused. Yeah. And uh, you know, on my travels uh, to various churches, uh, home and abroad, um, I, I tend to see this gift not used uh, very much in the life of the church. Um, and uh, I, I sort of look at that, why I think that is, mm-hmm. uh, and really encouraging, especially Pentecostal churches uh, and Pentecostal believers to, uh, or, or believers actually, um, to, to rediscover or discover for the first time this wonderful gift that God has made available to all, to all believers, all spirit-filled believers, uh, have the opportunity uh, maybe not to give a message in tongues in the church, but certainly to use it in uh, in their personal lives. Paul yeah. says, he who speaks in tongues uh, edifies himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I lay a lot of emphasis on that in my book, that actually uh, the gift of tongues, private use of tongues, uh, can edify us and build us up. He didn't say you will feel edified but you will be edified yeah uh, something happens to us and you know i've heard of ministries that have been radically changed by people that um such as jackie pullinger um <laughs> uh, i read about her in in hong kong uh she's decided to speak in tongues 15 minutes a day yeah um and it revolutionized not just her life but her ministry yeah uh, and in the midst of very discouraging and challenging ministry uh, situations, she felt that she had this uh, strength, really, that came just by building herself up in the faith uh, yeah. on a regular basis. So it, that's something that I sort of look at in the book. And it's really not, not hopefully, an academic book. No. Um, it, hopefully, it's a readable book and uh, helps us all to rediscover or discover for the first time this wonderful yeah. gift that is often uh, misunderstood and uh, misused. And I think sometimes when we misunderstand something or uh, we see it misused yeah. um, or abused, we, we th- tend then to steer away from it yeah. and not, not use it. Yes. Uh, instead of trying to understand how to use it properly, we tend to go to the other extreme and, and not use it at all, which yeah. I think is equally um, equally wrong, really. So it's a book to help us to uh, to rediscover it and hopefully use it in our own lives and see our own lives and our churches revolutionised. It, it it really helped me. It opened up my spirit. I, I knew straight away that it you know it was it was helpful. But it's something that I don't do much of is mm. praying in tongues, and I do have that ability to do that. Mm. I used to when I first became a, a, a Christian. Um, right. yep. But it's something that you sort of, like busyness of life gets in the yep. way. Mm. Um, and that to me is the biggest, it, you know, I will lean on people to pray mm. with me in English, mm-hmm. but I generally don't. And I think it does, it, the culture, if, if the church uses mm. tongues, then 
you don't feel as um, different um, when you're praying in tongues. So I think there's a little bit of that as well. Sure. So thank you for that book. I I have read it. It's great. Um, And, you know, it's one to keep as well. So it's one to to lean on. So thank you. Um, You've also written from Pentecost to a Pentecostal movement. Yes. Uh, Yes. Would you like to talk about that? Of course. Yes. Thank you. This is the second book I wrote. Um, This was um, really born out of a course that I taught at Mattersea and actually other places as well. I had the joy of of going to Nairobi Pentecostal Bible College to teach uh, students over there on a couple of occasions and Africa School of Missions in South Africa Um, and various other places. I've had the joy of of teaching um, church history and Church history was a subject sort of thrust upon me when I was on the faculty. Um, the previous lecture, lecturer um, was taken ill and had a stroke, and I was asked whether I could step in and teach a course, BA level, uh, on church history. And I'd studied church history at undergraduate level and was interested in it, but I wasn't really an expert in it at all. So. I, I decided to take that on, teach the course, and um, you know the, the best way to learn is to teach other people. And so, knowing I had to teach this course on uh, Pentecostal history and church history, um, really made me have to study the subject. And I was just fascinated, uh, and greatly enjoyed studying it, and actually greatly enjoyed teaching um, the subject. And so I, I turned my notes into a book, which, uh, again, hopefully is not an, an academic book, yeah. uh, but just gets people into this whole subject of church history. Uh, the book deals with uh, nine uh, eras, nine uh, sections of church history, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, going from the day of Pentecost, uh, AD 30, right to sort of uh, the 20th century uh, Azusa Street outpouring in Los mm. Angeles in 1906, yeah. and a little bit beyond that, and filling in some of the subjects uh, in between. So I deal with uh, the early church era, mm-hmm. persecution that they went through. I dealt. I deal with uh, the medieval period, which was a very dark age. Um, but even in the midst of the, the dark age, there were some some lights some bright lights yes. and I bring out some yeah. certain characters that were shining lights for Jesus mm-hmm. in a very dark age. I deal with um, Martin Luther and the, uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, people like Wesley and Whitfield yeah. and the Great mm-hmm. Awakenings on both sides of the Atlantic and then leading through uh, to the Azusa Street outpouring uh, and, and um, what happened since then. Uh, with the birth of the Pentecostal movement in the United Kingdom, uh, Sons of God, Elim, Apostolic yeah. Church, that yeah. sort of mm-hmm. thing. So the idea of it really is is just to hopefully make church history uh, interesting. Yes. Uh, I know for a fact when I've taught it, um, students have often thought that church history was a, a little bit boring. Uh, looking at figures from the past, um, isn't it the future that we need to be caught up with? Uh, why look at um, dusty yeah. figures from the past? Well, mm-hmm. You know, that's all happened now. Um, and so um, 
I, I try to get my students and even through the book to, to realize that um, we don't live in history. We don't live in the past, uh, but we are to learn from the past. Yes. Um, yes. Because we, we often make, uh, make the mistake of recreating the wheel uh, mm-hmm. and history does repeat itself. And I do believe, and it's hopefully a warts and all account, not just the, the highlights of church history, but also some lowlights yeah. Uh, some things that went wrong. And I think we we need to be brave enough to tackle uh, some of the things that we, the church has got wrong. Yeah. And we need to face up to that and learn from it. And hopefully I, I look at that as well, um, just so that we don't make the same mistakes um, yeah. that, that uh, people in the past made. So it, it's really just to uh, take people, perhaps people that don't know, uh, much about church history or very little mm-hmm. and try and take the sting out of it, uh, try and uh, make it accessible and read uh, and readable and hopefully to give them a taste uh, of, of some of the, the, the good bits of church history so that they yeah. can then follow that through and study it in more depth, um, you know, in, in the future. Yeah. So that, that's the idea of it really. Um, yes. Yeah, from Pentecostal, the Pentecostal movement. And, yeah, uh, yeah. A book I greatly enjoyed writing, actually, and uh, I, I still enjoy teaching uh, that that subject to, to people that uh, want to know about about history. Well, I really enjoyed reading it, um, and I got very excited about when we talked about the Welsh revival, and mm-hmm. and also 1907 Thomas Barrett um, came to Newcastle. So, what I was excited about, what what would it take for this to happen again for a revival to happen in 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 these places again you know yeah yeah uh, that's certainly um that's actually a, a subject that i'm um, a question i'm asked quite a lot as a as a historian and especially when i write about revival um because we we all want to see it again and when we read um, of people like evan roberts and and the welsh revival and we we read about uh, the great awakenings that broke out and 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 uh, Wesley in this country and uh, we we do long to see it again um I, I think there's a few things that we need to to sort of bear in mind really uh, when it comes to revival because there is this big debate on on how much uh, is of God and how much is of man yeah uh, and i I just happen to take the uh, the, the middle middle approach that actually it's both yeah uh, and I don't know how much of one and how much of the other but I I do believe that God moves um, through his people mm-hmm. and even though he could do it on his own um, he builds his church through people and through very very uh, fallible people people that make uh, mistakes and, that, and that's something else that I've try to bring out in the book and we see that uh, through history we see it actually in the pages of the bible and the new testament and the book of acts god using people who made mistakes and they 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 were not sort of uh, in the world's eyes very special people yeah um but they were people very open to god um and and i see a few sort of characteristics really uh, of some of these people, uh, and I, I noticed um, a, a few 
common denominators. And it was though um, the, the people that God used uh, were a prepared people. Mm-hmm. So before sort of, you know, revival broke out, God had to prepare certain people. And, uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about the Welsh revival and, and you know, eight, 180,000 souls that came to Christ and, um, you know, an 18 month period. But, but God had to work on the heart of a man, Evan Roberts, for years before that yeah. happened. Yeah. And the same with um, uh, William J. Seymour and the Azusa Street outpouring. God had to work on that man before it happened. And um, you know, God will will use a prepared people. And, and the such principles as prayer were very important, uh, seeking God. Um, and I, I think these people not having an agenda, saying, God, you have to do it this way, um, even though perhaps you did it in that way in the past, but God, do something your way. And uh, be, being very open to how God wants to to do it, because we'll notice that there are characteristics that are similar of every revival, but um, it would also seem that every revival was also quite different as well. Um, you know, God is a God of creativity, and we expect him to do it, a, B, and C, but often God will do it X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I think when we sort of put God in a box saying, God, 100 years ago, you did it this way. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you have to do it that way. Uh, in a sense, we try to recreate history uh, exactly. Then that's when it will probably go wrong. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to be open to uh, God doing something his way again. Uh, but there are there are certain things that we can do. I think prayer is very important, seeking God, yeah. repentance, all that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, is very important. But allowing God to do it uh, again in his way uh, and also in his time. Yes. Um, so I, I do think it's both. I think it is God. God has to do it. We cannot recreate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain things that we have to get ready for, um, you know, in our own hearts and in the life of the church as well. Thank you. That's, that's, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for answering those questions. I really appreciate it. So I'll let you go now and enjoy your day. Thank Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Cold Water Podcast. Please remember to subscribe and join next week.